Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. This is Michael Ferrari, Redlands, California. Consequences has always been one of my favorite pieces of artistry from Godly and Cream. From the very first time I heard it, I truly believe it was far ahead of its time. As for the Consequence podcasts, bravo, Paul and Sean, please keep it coming. Hey, Sean and Paul. Hopefully we get uh, some more eyes and attention on this amazing achievement in creativity and recording that is Consequences. Hopefully we also get some of the newer generation of Chemical Brothers fans to start to take a look at that album cover and start to wonder where it came from and hopefully seek it out. This is a release that I originally bought in 77 for about £13. And in the intervening years, I've always hoped that it would be re-released, repackaged, remastered, whatever and gain the recognition that it deserved. And finally, it has. I opened it on the Wednesday, which was the day after you guys had your listening party. The package itself is very lavish. They've spent a lot of time and care and love on the little details. There are obviously some things we've never heard before, the press release edits, obviously, which I'm looking forward to listening to. And I'm very impressed with the cloud motif on all of the discs the cloud from the front cover of the album a nice touch there by all this is mark hollis peterborough consequences if it has one fault it's too short because it doesn't rely on any of the standard gear and sounds from the time synths guitars etc it seems undated it's not confined by its own era it's a perfect example of being the sum of its parts Take any aspect of it into isolation, a song or a scene or an instrumental, and it doesn't really hold up, except of course the beautiful when things go wrong. It works brilliantly as an entirety. It's the perfect product of a pre-video age. You don't need a video to enhance it or enjoy it fully. Unlike most other concept albums, it's totally un-airy-fairy. There's no religious or mystical overtones. You don't have to like 10cc or Godly and Cream or Peter Cook or rock music to appreciate, enjoy or even love it, but I do. Hi guys, this is Andrew Dalgano. Thanks again for the wonderful podcasts, so informative and a source of great fun with all the follow-on discussions. 10cc and its various offshoots collectively constitute my favourite band. I feel a strange sense of pride that my musical heroes could produce such a work as Consequences, which is both extremely innovative and, even more importantly, is beautiful musically. And Peter Cook's contribution is fabulous. Thanks to the record company for the terrific box set. I just wish they could have done a bit more promotion to go along with it, as it's a real shame that Consequences is still going to remain largely unknown by the wider public. Anyone without this work definitely has a hole in their music collection. Hey, Sean and Paul. Uh, Thanks for letting me share some of my comments about Consequences. Let me first uh, say that I've been a big fan of this album for, God, how many years now? 35, 40 years. I think I first heard it in about 1979 when a friend of mine brought over his final copy and let me record it and make cassettes of it. Um, It was 
pretty mind-blowing back then and definitely an album that was difficult to get into but on repeated listenings I found that the more I listened to it the more I was intrigued by it and uh, always tried to find articles and more information uh, about the album through the years and you know this is long before the internet so it was a pretty difficult thing to do just a few thoughts on the consequences reissue as requested I wholly agree with uh, the various comments that people have made about the beauty of the package it's aesthetically pleasing I love the uh, the new colors for the fourth and fifth discs uh, when I opened it I was just delighted by that and um, overall they've done a good job I mean they've made some sloppy mistakes in the songwriting credits and the split between tracks as other people have already mentioned but Overall, it's just such a nice little artifact, a sort of mini version of the original with the bonus of the recent interviews. So, you know, for 20 quid, you can't really argue with it. As far as the music goes, uh, the sound of the music, I think um, what's really struck me is it's brought out for me, along with your podcast on the, um, on the song, the wonder of Blint's tune. I'd never really uh, got into side six. It always seemed like, you know, he had to listen to it just to complete the exercise of listening to Consequences start to finish, but I never really loved it. Um, your podcast brought home to me there's a lot more going on than I'd ever realised before. Um, and then to listen to it on the CD version, it just seemed a lot bigger more symphonic just brought out maybe uh, because of this new appreciation uh, it just sounds better than ever I think and I've been listening to this album for decades well I was really thrilled to get the uh, the new edition of Consequences after all these years um, very nicely presented I think that uh, I'd have been happy with the three discs I think music from Consequences and the set of radio edits are pointless and I don't think I'll ever listen to them because I think if you're going to listen to Consequences you should at least listen to a complete disc of it at a time. Um, I think they could have maybe used uh, more space in the box for a more legible booklet. Um, I think they messed up the... PQ points on the on the track indexes, which is a big shame, and they messed up the credits. So I don't know why record companies can never seem to quite get it right. They always make big mistakes, and I'll never understand this really when there's so many of us out there now who could give them the information that they needed. But uh, nice to see uh, Lol and Kev's names on the same page um, I get the feeling they were interviewed separately but there's some nice insights in there perhaps it would have been too much to ask for a 5.1 version despite the fact that uh, Mr 5.1 himself Stephen Wilson is on record as saying it's one of his favourite uh, albums but there you go It's uh, the, the record companies never seem to quite go as far as we fans do in actually thinking what might be best but uh, all in all, great, and uh, the timing of it's fantastic. What with with the the build up that your podcast has given it over these last few months. Um, this is uh, Steve Dinsdale signing off. Thank you. Welcome to our critique of the brand new re-release, and it was a real treat to hear some different voices for once, Paul. Um, some of our many new friends, courtesy of the Godly and Cream group on Facebook. Thanks so much, folks, for sharing your, your feelings, thoughts and, and views on this re-release. We agree with so, so much of what you've said. Very much so. It was uh, really fun to, to recently host, if that's the right word, a listening party on Facebook. Uh, which we did one Monday evening uh, <laughs> shortly after most of most of us had received the album. 
some uh, I think Mark got it the day after the listening party, which annoyed. Oh, which, poor lad, yeah, yeah I think we, he was, <laughs> felt left out. And, uh, and I, for one, skin flint that I am, although I'm not really, didn't even bother ordering the thing. And that's because I, it's great to have it re-released, but it is exactly the same, or isn't it, Sean? You're going to talk us through some of the minutiae of, of the sound. Yeah, and I hope I'm not going to be too pernickety. Uh, but I don't think I am being. It was a, a joy to receive. But before we kind of talk about uh, the, the listening party and, and the kind of stressful joy that that was, <laughs> um, I suppose my main overriding feeling about this is, is quite surreal, really. And I have to pinch myself sometimes because after that joyous um, summer, 79, um, my chum Steve Morris, Chris Jones, and I sitting on the you know the legendary log in in the orchard, listening to this uh, soon to to die on its ass Scotch tape. Literally from that period, from seventy nine till about eighty seven, when you and I uh, first met and somehow uh, gleaned the fact that we both love consequences. Between then, let's say the the late eighties to two thousand and nineteen. Consequences for me has been an absolute solo venture. It's like I've been living in a vacuum with it, with only you for company. And then all of a sudden, we've got 250-odd like-minded souls all over the world, you know, America, Australia, all over, who share our love for it. And that has been a real wonderful revelation for me. Yeah, um, it's not surprising. I think there's quite a few more people who either prefer to keep it private or, or just um, for whatever reason don't don't engage uh, with this kind of activity which is also fine um, but it, it is lovely to yeah to come across people who, who really like the thing Giles Booth who launched the consequences website back in I think 1997 mm. was which was extraordinarily early mm. for a website to be launched about anything let alone a single album um, He's recently published a piece. Um, he's updated his website. He's talking about, you know, the re-emergence of consequences. And I don't have the piece in front of me. It's, it's very witty and quite well written. He sort of talks about almost the, um, the, the fact that now that more people like it, he almost can't deal with it. He says something mm-hmm. like when he first made the website, he thought there was... He got replies from just a handful of people over a few years and there was like a dozen Consequences fans in the world and he could live with that. Yeah. But now there's considerably more. He's kind of now gone, it's gone mainstream. He's gone mainstream <laughs> comparatively and he's kind of he's got to give away ownership. Yeah. Um, but um, clearly there always was a group of people who who really love this piece of work. Um, and now uh, you know, the re-release is a sort of focus for interest. Though it's, it's interesting now, we're recording this on August the 29th, and I've been keeping an eye on reviews in, in various places, including the, the printed uh, monthly uh, musical f- uh, magazines. And most of them have come out for this month you know, the cycle's gone round where you would expect a review to appear. And I could be wrong, I might have missed a few, but there hasn't been any. No. And this has really surprised me. Uh, it's really disappointed me that all that comes up is the reviews that that our, our friends and I have yeah. blooming written on Amazon. And that's, that, that's a lousy response. Yeah. Even though those reviews are brilliant, with one exception, <clears throat> gave it two stars. Okay. Bless him. Every, you know, each their own. Yeah. Um, nothing else. In fact, barely a mention. Um, even Caroline Records don't seem to have really given it a push, which I find extraordinary. Yeah, it's exactly the sort of project that you think would be fated now, um, but it doesn't seem to be. Maybe we're still a little bit early and there's pieces that haven't yet been written or haven't mm. run. To print, but uh, that's a little bit disappointing. It is. I mean, Consequences is sitting proud. <clears throat> I, I noticed yesterday at number 35, I think it is, in the Amazon box set charts. Yeah, 35 sounds good until you talk about it. it's the box set charts. Yeah, it's it's kind of side by side with now that's what I call 60s. and It's above the best of George Michael. 
I think it's below something like the best of Lulu. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's got some strange company. It's like 127 or something in the overall pop charts. So really? That, That's yeah, not bad. That feels okay. I wish I'd looked at those figures last week. Maybe, you know, with the sudden rush of, of, of us lot diving yeah. in there. Maybe it, it leapt higher in that chart. Possibly. Um, that's a little bit of a disappointment. But having said that, it's lovely to have the thing, you know, back in the public consciousness, to have something to talk about, even though there isn't actually any new material on there. No. And we believe there possibly can't be, because to do a proper job on this, you need to go back to the multi-track tapes. Me and Sean have just been talking about this, and, and we reckon, well, A, perhaps they no longer exist, and even if they do... A finished multi-track mix down probably doesn't exist. They might have been adding effects and all flying in pieces right yeah. to the, the, you know, the, the 11th hour. So it might be an impossible task to actually properly remix this, although we don't know. I agree, but something in me, Paul, is hopeful. And I've just got a feeling in my gut that Mr. Wilson, Stephen Wilson, is thinking about this or looking at it right now. That would be great. I mean, I've seen nothing to confirm that. We know he's a massive fan. Yeah. We know he's the go-to guy. So it's, you know, those two those yeah. two planets have got to line up. I have a feeling they've already lined up. Okay. And that would, that would be joyous. Like you say, do the, are the tapes in any good nick? You know, are they, are they good enough to revisit? He would have to add all of the reverbs, for example from scratch again but he's very very good at recreating that sort of stuff yeah it's a type of project he's done in the past yeah perhaps so yeah. so that that that, that could work <clears throat> excuse me would it it would it wouldn't require the active involvement of kev and lol would it in order to because their artistic statement is delivered is it possible if you had the constituent parts available to kind of reverse engineer from the finished product, break it down and then build it back up so it's exactly the same? Of course. Uh, I think the only exception to that would be perhaps for some of the really odd effects that they had. Say, for example, the, bl the butterfly effect that they use for that theremony sound on Burial Scene. Right. Uh, I think it's used on a, as a reverb somewhere else on the album. It might be useful to kind of consult with Kevin Lowell to see if they could kind of shed any light on how it was achieved. Mm. Sadly, Martin's no longer with us, is he? So he's out of that equation. But I, I honestly think that's, that's, that Stephen Wilson could reverse engineer pretty much everything. Right. Um, he said, hopefully, with, with both, both pairs of fingers crossed. What we've got here, Paul, if you can just uh, pass it over to me. We've got, uh, we've got the box uh, here. Um, this is what it looks like, Paul. This is what you get for your 21 quid. Yeah, is that a little point? I haven't, because I haven't bothered buying it yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say it's a bargain. It is a I bargain, really, isn't it's it? A, yeah. It's a beautiful looking box. Yeah. Um, smooth and shiny. And the first thing that, that brought a, a tear of joy to my eye when, uh, when I opened the box was a, a pretty thick booklet. Uh, which has got many, many wonderful things about it and a few extremely disappointing things. Can I just say, before to spoil the party here, they've got the... F is the font wrong? The font's different on the on the front of the box, isn't it, from the...? Uh, yes, I think it is. The, the font they've got on the back seems to look a little bit different. Um, maybe we're just being fussy. Only there, here could we talk it's about consequences It's a very close, like Times Roman or something like that. It just mm. looks a bit different. It might be just that the proportions of the cover are different to the yeah, original. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a bit of a Luddite. I yeah. don't even like that. Yeah. But I and the repro on the, the cloud face isn't nearly as, as pristine as the, the original LP box. Yeah, true. But I loved uh, the, the, the joy of getting the five uh, discs in uh, the three original colours. You know, we've got disc one in the yellow alert, yeah. disc two in the red alert. We've got part three in the, the purple of death. And then we've got these controversial new colours. <laughs> what do they mean? Well... Probably I, thrown off by somebody <laughs> in an office who just was looking at random colours. But they fit to me. We've got the, we've got the kind of um, 70s toilet uh, bathroom jade, which has got a kind of a springtime feel yeah. there. It's like the, the, the world after Blint saved it. You yeah. know, the, the plants are coming new, back, new the grass. birds are out. New yeah, grass, new grass, young leaves, yeah. And we've got blue sky uh, in, in disc five. Uh, once again, overthinking, it's all bollocks. 
<laughs> but it gave me joy and it was just so lovely to see the the original inner sleeves reproduced exactly as they were with the the, the lyrics on the back yeah that 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 is nice and as one of our uh, contributors was I'm, I'm looking at my notes can't remember who said it somebody said it was really nice to see the the clouds um actually produced on the cds themselves or the cloud motif produced on the cd themselves yeah that was mark hollis and oh, uh, mark? thank you very much for your contribution mark yeah we agree it's, it's lovely seeing those clouds on there um and like us he's really hoping that it's going to gain the recognition it deserved and uh, i'm with uh, our friend Stephen dinsdale as well he he thinks that the package is very very nicely presented and i think it it, it truly is and for me, the best aspect of the re-release is the, the visual presentation. I think everything looks wonderful. Um, unfortunately, once we, we kind of scrape beneath the surface and, and look in more detail, then, then some of the kind of the faults or the less than perfect aspects kind of uh, become uh, more apparent. I mean, Stephen also mentions just how illegible uh, the, the, the booklet is even though I was extremely excited to see those new interview uh, fragments from Kevin yeah. Lowell who were made to look like they're sitting in the same room the yeah interview. the interviews were even recorded on the same day yeah I can barely read that yeah in, don't, in don't these people realize that the target audience of this album nobody's got 2020 vision anymore we're all too old <laughs> it, it, it's all about cost isn't it it's all about cost and um, it, it, it was so much easier to read the full booklet that came with the LPs. Um, I had to scan this and, and blow it up as a PDF just to, you know, to properly read it. Yeah, and thanks, Sean. I'm, I'm grateful for that scan. <laughs> it saves some of my eyesight. Yeah. The, the new interviews are illuminating. They don't really tell us anything we don't already know. They delve into some nice detail. Um, there's no completely new material, not, not, not that I could see. Um, what do you think about the new interview? Shane? Pretty good. And um, one thing I'd like to do here is, is to, to hear from one of our very, very good friends over in, in California, a chap by the name of Paniotis Bogdanos, or Pani as, as, we, as we know him, who's going to be joining us in the near future on uh, some podcasts about the kind of 80s and 90s 10cc. Uh, and he was very kind enough to send us some, some detailed thoughts on three aspects of the re-release. And uh, so let's, let's hear what uh, Panny has to say about the liner notes. The liner notes are pretty good. Uh, the interviews that were done with uh, Kevin and uh, Lowell uh, seem to you know, go into a lot of the details about how things were done and um, how they kind of just you know, continue to record and built upon things that they did you know, the previous day and kind of just took it, you know, wrote it as they uh, went along. They also uh, talk a little bit in the notes about the breakup of 10CC and how that divorce uh, was a bit painful. Um, I haven't really seen over the years too much about Kevin and Lowell's thoughts on that whole matter, so that's always interesting uh, to read about or to hear about because, you know, uh, I always used to think that Kevin and Lowell just kind of told Eric and uh, Graham to piss off and they just went off and did their album together but it seems to have been uh, a more uh, you know heavier situation and definitely an emotional thing for everybody involved and it's also sad to note that there never seemed to be a dis discussion with the four guys uh, to say that you know Kevin and Lowell could take a break for six months and do their album and once they got done, then, you know, the band would get back together and do the next 10cc album. It was never even put on the plate or on the uh, sounding board to discuss by any members of the band. And that's kind of sad. And But at the same time, as Kevin says in the notes, maybe it wasn't meant to be. And if, you know, the breakup hadn't happened, then Godly and Cream would not have gone on. Uh, to do their uh, video career and you know make videos for all the other artists that they did Now the other thing uh, I do want to mention is that the booklet does have a few drawings and a few pictures you know from that period and um, I think a few more photos from that era might have been you know nice to see and um, 
I also looking at the credits. Uh, there's really no specific dates about when anything was recorded. Uh, it just seems to, you know, give songwriting credits and that sort of thing, and uh, mentions the publisher. And again, uh, some of these other dates might have been interesting to see and interesting to uh, to know about. You know, to see that period of time that they took to record the album. Again, some things were recorded and then put aside, and then you know, maybe uh, revisited and completed at a much later date, so I can understand why they may not have uh, done that for the, uh, you know, the reissue. Uh, it's probably too hard to pinpoint the dates. But at the same time, uh, I also think that this reissue, like most reissue companies, had a limited budget, and they were trying to do it as economically as they could to get it out there again. But if I have to rate this reissue, I'd give it about a four out of a five. Still, it's good that this this is out there again, and uh, I hope that uh, many uh, more people will discover it and learn to appreciate the album. It's a great album. Yeah, so you can hear there, Paul, that the pan is kind of with with you in that the the liner notes are good, the interview segments are good. But they're not that insightful in terms of giving us anything new, particularly. Mm. Although Panny obviously likes the a little bit more insight into the breakup of 10CC, and that, that I found that that was an interesting uh, element of, of these interviews. Panny's disappointed that there aren't any session dates for those tracks. Uh, well, I don't. <laughs> I don't think anybody can remember. Um, the most interest, the most detailed information we have about the recording of consequences appears on another really small pixel scan <laughs> on the, which is available on one of the 10CC websites, and we should try and we'll try and reproduce that, which is the original press pack of consequences, and we've mentioned it before, and that, and that tells you how they spent. X months recording side one and Y months recording side two, mm. and it does give a, does give a clear indication of how the project inched forward. But we don't have that here. We do still have Paul Gambaccini's or extracts from Paul Gambaccini's diaries. Yeah, and which, we'd love to get a proper look at the whole diary, wouldn't they we? They are clearly a crucial document. He was with them a lot, as you can see from the diaries. He was virtually a collaborator on the, yeah. the project. He was very very tight with all the band, but particularly with Kevin Lowell. And we'd we'd love to be able to quiz Paul about, um, you know, his involvement and and uh, and have a look at his diaries. Obviously, too but. right, too right. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm with Panny that uh, we could have a little bit more information there, but I've got the 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 inside back cover of the booklet open in front of me now, Paul, and I'm getting that same feeling of anger and resentment that right. I did. Uh, when I when I first opened it, and uh, I had to hold myself back from launching a tirade on Facebook about it. I mean, just looking at, at the songwriter credits on these things, we've got part one, track one, Seascape, um, basically the creation of Lol Cream gizmo genius and talented composer uh, the first the first person on the writing credit there is peter cook peter cook is solely responsible for writing wind <laughs> including the drum parts you'd assume uh, it's absolutely outrageous that a anybody could think that that was correct and b that nobody bloody checked and I uh, and and this is where the, the the reissue starts to kind of fall apart for me. It does fall it's, apart. It, it looks wonderful, mm. and there are just a few things. We'll go on to things like the uh, the PQ points, the sequencing of the CD that Stephen Dinsdale and and, and and Panny have you know some detailed thoughts on, myself included. This is just one of the things that make this a very very less than perfect reissue. The writing credits are really interesting. They must be an error, or are they just the effect of some kind of redress that was attempted somewhere? I mean, I've checked on the Performing Rights Society website, and every track on Consequences is allocated 50-50 to Kevin Lowell, like it's always been, with yeah. no sign of Peter Cook. However, the other side of that story is, he did contribute an awful lot to the project, 
and wrote the dialogue. There's pretty much no doubt about that. And the dialogue constitutes quite a large volume of what's on the That's record. Right. But so it, he deserves something. He does, but he's not given credit for, for where he deserves credit. The, I mean, the, it, it, it's wonderful that each section of dialogue is given its own, its own title. Like, for example, part three, track two, is actually titled... Veronica, how many times have I told you not to disturb me at the office? That's the title of that track. But Peter Cook's name doesn't appear in the in the credits for that. Yeah. So this is a, an outrageous kind of oversight, lazy, unre, uh, unresearched. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. pathetic. Well, it's also Absolutely it, it's pathetic. also um, spurious, isn't it? Because yeah. as far as we're aware, the actual credits haven't changed. Yeah. So that's just that's really weird. Yeah, I, and, and and that just kind of it set me up badly um, for for listening to the the discs uh, during our listening party, which I was so excited uh, in doing. Um, I deliberately not stuck any of the CDs in my CD player to kind of have a sneak preview, um, and uh, so I was, I was most excited. And I have to say, Paul, I've got a lot to say about the the sound of this reissue. Do you mind uh, indulging me on that one? Go ahead. Let's first hear from from Panny in the States. Um, hear what he, he says about this. It's quite enlightening, and he's coming at it from the same wavelength as me. Uh, I see that Andy Pierce has remastered this new release, and I've only heard it. I don't own a copy. And I do want to say that, in my opinion... I don't really think he's improved the sound too much, at least to my ears. Uh, he has a tendency to not do ear-piercing uh, mixes on things. And um, I know that he likes to keep the sound more like the sound of a vinyl record, something that's a little more mellow and a little more soft to the ears. It's good, but it's not what some would expect on a digital CD format release. And I think it falls a little bit short. Um, I've compared it, this new uh, reissue, to a couple other CD releases that I do have and listening with my high-definition Sony headphones. And for the most part, it sounds about the same, even as flat as, you know, two earlier CD releases that I have. One of those releases is a digital copy that I downloaded off the Internet, which appears to have come from a unauthorized Russian copy that... Um, somebody did probably several years ago it may that may that russian copy may have been taken from the uh, american reissue on the one-way uh, record label and that one sounds pretty good but in places it sounds a bit flat and the remastering wasn't that good on that either still uh the new reissue sounds about the same if not slightly better than you know these two uh previous uh issues that i do have and in my opinion, I think the only way they're really going to get a good sound on this is really to go back to the master tapes or the multi-tracks, if you like, and work on the levels and cleaning up the separate tracks and then doing a full remix using, you know, those tracks that have been cleaned up. Still, this album doesn't sound too bad on CD, but this reissue doesn't appear to have really improved what's already been available on CD for many years. So I, I was fascinated to hear what Panny was saying about Andy Pierce, the mastering engineer, and I've not been aware of hearing any of his previous work. I must have done, but, you know, I guess I've not clocked his name. He's been around since the 80s. Yeah. He's done a lot of stuff. And uh, Panny, Panny feels that there's no real improvement in the sound quality. That's interesting. But he's saying that Andy Pierce uh, has got a, a reputation for producing what Panic calls not ear piercing uh, remixes. They're kind of mellower than you'd expect for a CD release, as if he's he's going for the kind of remaster that would work well on vinyl. Uh, vinyl remastering is very much about avoiding the very very shrill top end. Uh, the, the stylist just doesn't seem to like it very much. Likewise, avoiding massive bass sounds and so on like that. So for him, the sound falls a bit short. I couldn't agree more. In many ways, Paul, I think that the, the remaster of this 
has improved the sound uh, in big ways. And particularly, it's, it's given the album more punch. Um, I think during the listening party I, I mentioned that I didn't have to keep uh, turning the volume up and down while I was listening to it. Mm. Always when, I, when I've listened to Consequences in the past, I've been reaching for the volume control uh, to turn it up, up during the quiet dialogue bits and, and turn it back down again when, uh, you know, when, when all the gizmos and timpani are flying around. But in th- this case, I went through the entire listening party not touching the volume control, and that says a lot about it. I listened to it in the car the other day, and again, it was that same thing. Everything was loud in my face and powerful, and it made it much more, much easier to listen to in, in a loud environment. Okay, so you're talking about even the... Th- but what about the things that are supposed to be distant, like uh, Blint's... Uh, piano meandering right at the beginning, yeah. uh, which is supposed to be so far back you can hardly hear it, and therefore it's got a, it's got further to travel to come to the the front of your mind as it gradually comes into focus. That's it. I'm afraid that the the space and and, and those extra dimensions of yeah. distance yeah. and near silence no longer exist in the same way. And I think it was I think it might be Mark Hollis actually. He mentioned that he he had finally after all these years heard. Blint downstairs saying half pissed. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, he'd never heard that before. Right. And I really think that that's a a byproduct of Andy Pierce processing the sound in the way he has for this reissue. What I've done, folks, here, and if you can in- indulge me just for a minute or two on this, I think this is a really, really useful thing to to hear. Um, so that you can kind of get a, a picture of what I'm banging on about here. What I've done, I've, I've grabbed six really short clips from um, the original version of the CD. This is the, uh, when would it be, Paul? Early 90s German reissues, yeah, 3,000 copies. Yeah, the One Way, is that, is that the name? I think it? it is, yeah. yeah. That's the one we've got, and presumably it's the one that anybody who already had a copy of, C- of Consequences on CD yeah. had. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've, I've used the same clip, and this is the start of the wind when Kev's drums come in. The first clip you'll hear is the original CD. Then the second clip is going to be the brand new reissue. And then the third clip you hear is going to be um, the, the processing that... Paul and I have used for our podcasts Um, and that's not there for arrogance it's just to demonstrate what happens when you process the original CD sound in a particular way that's very different from the way that Andy Pierce has processed the sound for this reissue all would become clear guys so I'm going to play you this first off we're going to hear the original followed by the re-release Paul, what are you hearing? The difference between the original and the and the re-release. Um, well, full disclaimer here: you had to prompt me because I could hear a difference, but I wasn't able. I had to hear it a few times. But I'm more used to kind of searching for these. Yeah, sort of things, okay. And it's certainly true that the crack of Kev's snare is somewhat submerged within the general um, cacophony of sound in the in the. In the, in the re-release. Yeah. So, and that's something that must have clearly wanted to highlight in the original mix, and it's kind of, it's kind of got a bit lost. So there's there's more sound, but it's those elements that they probably intentionally brought to the fore are no longer so clearly defined. That's that's the picture I'm getting. Absolutely. What you've got in the original, the original mix of consequences is, is a huge frequency range from extremely low bass to extremely high frequencies right. we think of the the high-pitched triangles um maybe halfway through stampede i think the the noise being submerged in water at the end of the which flood. is very painful that, that's right but unintentionally so. yes i hope you heard folks on that second clip there was the fact that 
the new version is at least twice as loud. We're looking at the waveform in front of us here, Paul, mm. and it's massively uh, wider than the original. So he's used compression there. And what compression does is squashes down the loud bits and brings up the quiet bits mm. and makes everything kind of more sort of equalised in a, in a long square sausage. So you don't get such uh, dynamic range. You don't get big differences between the quiet and, and the loud. Although, shouldn't we say that, you know, that's the way music is made now, so... And has been for 20, 30 years. Right, so everyone's ears will, to an extent, be attuned to that sort of brick walling, they call yes. it, don't you? That and I think there are massive advantages of, of doing it like this. One is what I've said already about not having to keep adjusting the volume level. Right. And it, it has made consequences leap out of the speakers. It really, really does, with a, a huge power. Now, mm. Andy Pierce has also processed the sound in another way that does increase the power. Okay. And that is, if, and if we have a li another listen to uh, the second clip, we hear that Andy Pierce has used EQ to not only take, take off the very high frequencies, but he's also boosted the middle frequencies. Listen to the snare drum between the first clip and the second. You'll hear that in the first clip, in the original, the snare drum has a brightness that you were talking about, like a real crack, hmm. um, a kind of clarity, almost a crystalline quality. In the re-release version, it's got more of a oof, a more of a boom, like a, a, a more boxy sound, which has given it more power, but I think it's taken away that lovely, beautiful clarity that the original had. And then finally, before we, we have a listen to, to how, this, if, how this remastering has affected Peter Cook's dialogue, let's have a listen to how Paul and I have, have been uh, processing the sound for the podcast. What we've done is simply increase the volume of the original, and we've had to increase it by a lot, uh, particularly the dialogue. In some cases, I had to make the dialogue uh, twice, three or even four times as loud just so that it would be as, as loud as our voices. Um, with the music, I had to at least boost that by a, about 50% just to bring it up to a decent level. And I added a little bit of compression, but I didn't do anything with the EQ because I didn't want to wreck the original beauty and, and clarity of the sound. For me, what Andy Pierce has done is given this work of art more muscle. But it's almost like he's, he's painted a, a thin film of brown all over it. So it's kind of dulled it. It's duller, it's got power, but it doesn't have the same range and beauty as the original. Okay? Let's have a quick listen to what Peter Cook sounds like. Again, we hear the original, you'll hear then the re-release, which is much, much louder and has got more of those middle frequencies. And then you'll hear our version, which has, has boosted the volume, but not pissed around with the EQ. No, no offence to Andy Pierce. Before we sit down to discuss anything, I would like to put it on the record that my attention has been drawn to a gaping hole. Before we sit down to discuss anything, I would like to put it on the record that my attention has been drawn to a gaping hole. Before we sit down to discuss anything, I would like to put it on the record that my attention has been drawn to a gaping hole. I was really interested, Paul, to hear what you said about how the new Peter Cook sounded. Yeah, I just, it was just an instinctive reaction. The... The new recording, he just he sounded more like Peter Cook in a studio, <laughs> putting on a voice rather than Pepperman. Mm. It didn't have that sibilance of of Pepperman mm. or something. I mean, um, I think that, I think there really is a difference there. It, yeah. it, 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 it just doesn't sound in character as much, if that makes any <laughs> sense. I don't yeah. know whether anybody else is hearing that, but I think you, uh, if if any of you are listening to this kind of through your phone speaker. 
you'll you, you'll get a much bigger benefit by listening in headphones if you can, mm. uh, so that you can hear what the hell we're banging on about here. But Paul's got a real point here. During the listening party, I actually got cross at one point. Uh, it may have been that I was three quarters of the way through a bottle of red wine <laughs> just to deal with the the, the onslaught. But uh, I, I got cross when I heard Peppermint's voice for the first time. It just didn't sound right. It was too processed, too compressed, so that none of the quiet bits, Paul, are allowed to exist anymore. It's like nothing's allowed to disappear into that that middle distance that we used to bang yeah. on about in the early podcasts. Yeah, it's, unfortunately, the whole thing's been dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century mm. which and it doesn't really belong there does it it belongs no. back in 1977 yes and and i i really wish that i mean what's the point because this thing isn't it's not going to get on like radio one is it it's not like they're sort of mixing it for a single release it sounds much more radio worthy now mm. that it's been remastered in this way yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe our my ears are, are old-fashioned but i think when you've got a work of art like Evan Hammond, uh, we heard his voice earlier on saying that this is an amazing achievement in creativity and recording. Totally agree. Michael Ferreri, we heard him saying that it's one of his favourite pieces of artistry. Absolutely, guys. We, I couldn't agree with you more. And yet, I think that that artistry has been bent slightly too much out of shape here. You can't drag something from the 70s into a, a 21st century lexicon of rules. Well, look on the bright side. At least they didn't auto-tune it and, <laughs> and replace Sarah Vaughan with... Oh, God. I don't know. I can't even think of a, a contemporary singer. But Don't even know. go there, Paul. No. Don't even go no. there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm sorry if I've, I've kind of gone off on one, one there, folks, but I feel very, very strongly about this. A missed opportunity, I think. Um, and... Something that we've tried to do with the podcast is to make make the clips loud enough to hear clearly, but without fucking with the sound. Hmm. Sorry to be so blunt. Blint, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> please, 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 please. Let's have a quick word about the listening party, because okay. it was it was great fun. This was on the... 13th of August 2019 it was great fun oh, thank you everybody who kind of <laughs> listened along who jumped on the train jumped off or listened to the whole the whole thing uh, somebody I can't remember who it was was actually sort of staying late at work and then sort of quickly drove home and managed to join us within you know a few <laughs> minutes again I just I wrote down a few of my favourite quotes <coughs> I mean yours truly as I've said didn't have even bought the thing so I, I was sitting there in Hull where I worked during the week um I had it primed on YouTube, where of course it exists, but then realised um, rather embarrassingly as soon as I sort of uh, I couldn't listen to it and 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 watch the Facebook group at the same time. At least my the combination of my phone and my techie expertise wouldn't allow me to do that. So I actually just was listening to it in my head, which gave me a lot more space to sort of watch the the. Comments. And I was signing to you in capital letters, wasn't I? Yeah, we're here, we're here, but. Uh, it's so ingrained in, in the head that I virtually knew where we were anyway. But I'm just going to read out a few quotes, starting with our very own Sean McCreevy. <laughs> Let them have it, lol, which was his, uh, you know, um, opening statement just as Seascape was supposed to start. Yeah. I'm trying not to get cross. I think he said that several times. This attic. I like his uh, <laughs> call to arms. Come on, blinty babes. And something which sums up Sean's um, uh, audio obsession perfectly. <laughs> Stapleton's wing squeaks are beautifully loud and clear. Mm -hmm. Where else would you hear that? Who else did we have? John uh, Convey. Um, Troops are all brushing now, sir. He was getting oh, us I into love that. It was, it was, it, it, that made me howl. It's like something out of Dad's army. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. It was Thank you, John. Superb. That absolutely was genius. Lovely. genius. He was also, John was also the winner of the How Dare You sleeve quiz. I think we asked as a bit of light relief. Who oh, yeah, was... hang on. No, no, no. I, I, I've not actually verified this. Oh, okay. Let's... I'm going over to my little bag of albums. We always have every album here with us, folks, when we're recording a con on a, a podcast, just yeah. as a lucky no, talisman. This is the, the very sleeve that let me down so badly on the uh, on the I'm Mandy gate. 
Uh, oh, we've yeah. got our knickers got, in a twist over the, uh, got the, the, the writing credits, credits, you see. But so no. There's the inner sleeve, Paul, with uh, I'm Andy Flyme, very, very clearly stated as a, as a Stuart Goldman cream. But anyway, I rest my case. Yeah. Now, I, th- I have a feeling that John Convey... He said the only guy not smoking, smoking was is, Graham. Is Graham. But he's reaching for a fag. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Kev... Uh, has he got, has he got is it obscured by the, the phone? We can't Eric's, see. Uh, Eric's getting a light off uh, one of the guys on a white phone there. And where's Lol? Lol's down here. He doesn't have a ciggy. Oh, dear. Yeah. Right. But, but Graham is reaching for one. Well, thank goodness we didn't offer a prize with that. Cause yeah, because we, we'd have probably had to um, drive around to your house, John, and get, get the prize back. But yeah, but luckily he was the only person to answer the question. So indeed, it's, so you win <laughs> the prize anyway, John, just by default. Everything's fine. <laughs> Who else on the list? Uh, Andrew Dalgano. Who controversially says here, am I the only one who doesn't like Sarah Vaughan's voice? Well, mm. horses for courses. I never used to. Yeah, it's oh. a, it's, that's a... Uh, that's not like a teenage uh, I want to rule the world um, entry point, is it? It's something no. far more mature in the 10cc world. So yeah, I, definitely. I, it took me a long a long time to kind of start to appreciate what she did. I think the first one I heard after I'd heard Lost Weekend was a version of Summertime, which we used on one of the previous podcasts, which yeah. I really captured me right uh, and since then you know having bought a few albums I, I think she's got the most amazing voice but I can totally I'm totally with you there hmm. it's it's not for everyone it's a bit strident isn't it yeah yeah Philip Wood who made some excellent points oh yeah talking about Sleeping Earth when he said it's so unlike G&C to labour a musical point as they're doing now and that, that really does hit Very the spot good point. along with the night shift out and the day shift in lyrics of course from the wonderful middle eight of oh, five o'clock yes. in the morning but there he was attributing it to the working shift patterns of Godley and Cream and Peter Cook at the manor yeah. you know up and down at different times due to different s- stimulants and meeting mm. just for that sweet spot for a couple of hours so nice one Philip enjoyed that uh, and Steve Dinsdale came up with that really interesting story um, he worked with a security guard who turned out to be Brian Huxtable who we yes, think right. was Judy's brother I think <laughs> yeah, which was uh, ex- quite extraordinary and Car- he's obviously one of our candidates for interview. You won't be surprised to hear. Yes. He said uh, with a wry smile. Yeah. And Karen Piercy, who, who sent that fantastic picture of uh, some somebody oh. wearing a Blint 17 yeah. shirt. We want one. We, well, we'll, yeah, we'll go down um, JD, JD Sports and... We'll have some printed off, won't yeah, we? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Let us know if you, want, uh, if, you, if you want one yourself, folks. Just let us know. The other thing Karen said, which made me laugh, was the constant misspelling of dialogue <laughs> is infuriating, <laughs> capital letters, which was... Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm Tran- not a fan. American English, you might it say. It is American English, yeah. 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 Uh, Donald Ferguson, who sort of came on strong in the listening party at the end. I think. That's right, yeah, when everyone else had fallen by yeah. the wayside and went off to be with their family, maybe yeah. eat some food. Live a normal life. <laughs> yeah. he, he came on strong at the end and uh, uh, lovely quotes from him. Poor old Jimbo and Fubar. Oh, and, yeah. and this I really liked. I never noticed the lovely bit just before the insane, horrible bit, just before the amazing end, talking about the final movements of... Blint's um, symphony there, which was nice. Mm. And C. Divey, DV, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your surname. And I think this is about the, um, the interview, the, the, the supposedly joint interview. They seem very complementary towards each other, which, was, which did come yeah. across. We, yeah. we know that Kevin Lowell aren't getting on great, maybe. They're not seeing much of each other, but they, they, they do you know, feel warm to, towards each other in terms of the, this project, which is, which yeah. is lovely to they hear. They never diss each other's work, do they? No. And, and that is, I think that's admirable. Yes, whatever differences came between them, it wasn't, well, perhaps it wasn't solely creative differences. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, and they're justifiably, of course, proud of what they accomplished. And my, our friend Mark Hollis at the end, glad you all had a hoot. So, um, yeah. We, we uh, missed you, Mark. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, sorry, you're, the, post, the postman came a day late with your copy of Consequences. And, and thanks to everybody else who, who contributed. And I'm sorry if I missed you off that list. That's right. We've, we've also had some really lovely 
detailed critiques from Mark and, and Andrew Delgano as well, yeah. uh, sort of privately, which have been been fascinating. Uh, yeah, that really fantastic. It was uh, a labour of love, that listening party, wasn't it? I didn't do much listening because I was too busy well, typing. I, I didn't do any. Yeah, <laughs> uh, typing, enjoying the, the sort of the kind of geeky banter. Hmm. And it was marvellous. And it was, it was lovely um, feeling that connection with people. Like, for example, you mentioned Karen Pearcey earlier on. Uh, and she and I were kind of ranting about the sequencing <laughs> of the tracks yeah. at the same moment. And I thought, yes, there's someone who, who absolutely has my uh, complete geeky quality of being thoroughly annoyed by shoddy workmanship. And <laughs> let's just take a, a short break and, and listen to what... Uh, Paniotis has to say. Uh, let me continue and also mention the sequencing on this UK reissue. Uh, I'm a bit annoyed by how Honolulu is broken up into two sections. Um, you have the first 54 seconds of the track made up as one track, and then the rest of the song appears as about the first two minutes or so of the following track, which is The Flood. The main problem is that on some CD players, uh, if you try to program to hear the whole song, well, you're only going to get 54 seconds of it. And also when it goes from the end of one track to the next track, sometimes you get a gap or a pause there, which sometimes kills the continuity of it. There seems to be a slight gap there, you know, uh, listening to the digital version of this. Ends with Mr. Stapleton starting the count and when he gets to number four, there's a slightly longer gap there before it continues to the next track and the counting starts at five. Um, it's always a bit distracting to hear that because it seems to kind of, I don't know, slow the count in down. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But uh, this seems to be the same with this digital uh, unauthorized Russian copy that I mentioned earlier. And I didn't double-check the one-way copy, but I, I'm guessing that it's probably the same on that as well. And with that said, I would think that any label that uh, was taking the time to reissue this album needs to really uh, make sure that the sequencing is done as the original LP. It's not that hard to do. Just take out a copy of the original LP and see how they, you know, separated the tracks on there and then do it, you know. Um, Again, it's 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 a small thing, but it does kind of you know take away from the continuity of the album, and it's a shame, really. So I think Panny's very rightly brought up the the big offender here, which I think is Honolulu Lulu, mm. which gets cut in half basically, doesn't it? Mm. Whoever did the sequencing here, and remember that all you need to do to sequence a CD is literally press the M key on a keyboard, mm. and then it automatically plops a a start point in. Maybe it was a veiled tribute to Donald Trump's uh, recent plan to nuke a hurricane. Well, if they've done yeah. it, they've actually destroyed yeah. he's, he's done. He's perhaps done a bit of kind of consequences podcast-style overthinking. Here's the, the tidal wave come in. Right. At that point. Yeah, oh, that sounds like a flood, yeah. That is the very start of, of what he thinks is the flood. Oh, yeah. But it, it's weird. I mean, you look on the, the back cover of the, of, the, of the Yellow Alert Gold Disc 1, and it's got all of the lyrics to Honolulu Lulu. Mm. Quite clear there that where he cut off the second half of the track isn't the end of the track. And there are so many um, examples throughout the CD where the tracks really do not start or finish at the, the right time. The start of burial scene, for example, mm. is attributed to Stampede. Uh, and then we've got those lovely bits where tracks like Office Chase and Sailor start in the background underneath the dialogue. Right. Ding, 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 ding. And, you know, about 20 seconds, 30 seconds even of, of just that, that nice intro. Um, what they've done is started the track when the dialogue disappears. I think what they've tried to do is is to keep the dialogue and music completely separate mm -hmm. so that it's possible to program a, a version of, of consequences from these discs I think without any dialogue I at all. I think that's more defendable, isn't it? It is, I think but, that makes but it, 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 you end up with a completely unlistenable 
musical experience because the tracks that there are no smooth starts you don't get the start of any any beautiful music you get it kind of cutting in in a jagged way okay so i can i can see their logic but i i don't i really don't think they've done it with any sensitivity to the music Because well, they've not used their ears, I don't think, Paul. I agree. They're, they're clearly, whoever was working on this, and I do understand it was a limited budget. Yeah. The, the, I but guess it, it, they it just didn't. Get, they didn't know the album that does well. It cost five p to sequence a CD, Paul. Well, okay, but I'm sorry, ma- I guess really all you ha- all you have to do is go back and listen to earlier versions. Yeah. Uh, earlier media versions to work out where things yeah. start and end. I see, the, what, see what you're saying. Or at the very least, send a send a trial version to. Kevin Godley and Lowell Cream. Hmm. You know, how long does that take? Well, that's a good point. One supposes that they probably weren't involved other than recording (coughs) an interview, which actually was recorded in June 2018, I think. So it's quite Mm. a while back. So they weren't involved in uh, in signing off this stuff, because surely they would have picked up a few things. Yeah, editorial I mean, comments, but not least of which the fact that they're not they're not credited for, credited for writing the music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's given to it's given to some drunken comic genius <laughs> instead. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, so yeah, the, the sequencing gives me the same disappointment as the, the the terrible songwriting credits. The comments on the sound are very very minor in, in compared to the, the shoddiness of the uh, of the kind of the finished product, if you like. Right. Uh, the simple things on this reissue have been done really badly. The difficult stuff, the artistic stuff, has, has been been done uh, very, very nicely indeed. Like I said before, it looks beautiful, and the, the booklet is is lovely with the entire original booklet with all of Paul Gambaccini's notes, all of the photos, those marvelous colour uh, paintings that Kevin Lowell had done for the original. Superb, and of course you've got about ten pages of that uh, that new interview. So, yeah, on balance, I'm with Panny. I think this is definitely a four out of five reissue for an album that I would give ten out of five mm-hmm. every time. I go along with that. So I, I'm totally with our friends who we heard from at the start of the of the pod. Um, this is an absolute work of art. It's being criminally ignored again, I suspect, but I. Th- I think that by osmosis, Paul, I have a feeling that it's going to creep into a little bit of a a wider consciousness this time. Let's hope so. Yeah. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening just a really brief footnote here folks in our excitement to talk about the reissue and the listening party and everything paul and i completely forgot to talk about the contents of those beautiful looking discs four and five disc four of course is music for consequences released on on vinyl a couple of years after consequences came out I remember it being a real disappointment to me when I played it all those years ago, as of course it completely misses out any music at all from Blint's tune. Some of those wonderful musical highlights are just not there. Also, most of Side One, which many of you will know is my my favourite musical section of, of Consequences. So, yeah, big disappointment, and I guess that means that I won't be listening to Disc 4 ever, I would have thought. But really, the biggest offender is Disc 5. And pleased as I was to finally hear what was sent out to the press all those years ago, it's actually pretty shoddy. Some of the fades during songs are strange, and the worst aspect is the way they've cut apart the dialogue. So you get a whole load of really bad non-sequiturs. And I'll play you a little snippet here, which kind of illustrates what I'm talking about. It makes no sense at all, and that would have only just nonplussed the media completely, as if they weren't nonplussed already. Now, since Mr Pefferman has raised the important issue of non-disclosure, perhaps we can move on to Mrs Stapleton's teeth, which seem to have been omitted from our list of assets. I have no idea. 
But I guess one of my big regrets about this repackage, despite the fact that I, on balance, really love it, it's beautiful to have in, in such a gorgeous package, the missed opportunity of the record company talking to all of us, perhaps, somehow, about what else could have been put on the package to make it really irresistible and, and special for the superfans. We've been waiting a long time for it to come out on CD, and there are a few things that really could have been there and would have made this an absolute joy. I'm thinking of things like isolated audio versions of musical snippets like mine, yours, ours. That would have been fantastic. But also they could have done it as like, like a sort of an enhanced data disc or something. And they could have included some documents, things like the press release with all those articles on the gizmo and everything, the photos and stuff. They could have had extracts from Paul Gambaccini's diary in addition to the ones that we get in the booklet, for example, that would have been fascinating. Maybe some of the session notes, you know, the, the session dates that Paul's been talking about in the podcasts, those sort of things, Easter eggs, if you like, could have been really special. But hey-ho, yet another open goal missed. And I suppose that's been the story of this project for 42 years, hasn't it? Oh, well. Oh, well. 